the birth of Jesus. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And these verses are from Philippians 2 and are verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, Well, thank you, uh, Keith, and thank you, everyone that's taken part this morning in our service of worship. Today we're, think, we're asking this question, what is in a name? What is in a name? Now, um, I was going to do this when the children were here, but I thought, judging by the time. Um, my children used to get very excited when I got this book out. It says, Naming Baby. I can assure them there's no realistic danger there. Um, although Abraham said that, didn't he, as well. Um, and anyway... Naming Baby, it's a book all about the names, uh, what names mean. And I wonder, do you know what your name means? Yeah, is there anyone that doesn't know what their name means? Well, what does Bevan mean? Strong man. Strong man. Great, great choice. Yeah, good. Um, yep, Dilla? Drusilla means sturdy. Dr- Drusilla is sturdy, yes. You didn't know she was called Drusilla, did you? But, uh, <laughs> thanks, Dilla. Um, yeah, any more? Keith means wind. <laughs> say no more, say no more. Um, yeah, 
Okay, well, you know, m- names do have meanings, but, uh, but I suspect that in recent years, uh, certainly in England uh, and the UK, uh, people have named their children not because of the meaning of the name, but because they like the sound or the association. Um, so, for example, uh, there must have been a lot of uh, people in the 80s who were named girls named Kylie. Uh, and, you know, there, there were certain, uh, named after pop stars or, or, or sports people, uh, some of that you want to associate with. In fact, um, when I was in St Albans, we had uh, a West Indian family who called their son Cassius, Cassius Eusebio, which told them a little bit about their interests. And I believe there was somebody who called his uh, son after all the names of the England football team. Um, hey, um, but, you know, um, more recently, Karen and I noticed in Bristol, in the toddler group, that there was a big fashion for naming your boy, the children after uh, Old, uh, Old Testament names. So Obadiah and, you know, Zechariah and some of those Old Testament prophet names uh, are, are coming, even for families who actually are not particularly uh, church-going or, or Christian. Um, there are fashions, aren't there, um, in, in names. Um, I wonder if you know, I mean, at one time the most popular name in England was John. Does anyone know what the most popular name in England for a baby is now? Male, Male name, yeah. Sorry? Mohammed, you're right. Mohammed is the most popular name or in terms of the number of babies named in, in England now. Uh, interesting. But in the Bible, uh, uh, very often babies uh, were named after the, the character, something to do with who that baby was. I mean, some of them quite unfortunate. I mean, um, Jacob means that he grasps the heel uh, uh, or deceiver. And as Mike uh, told us a bit about Abraham and, uh, and, and Jacob and things last week, uh, you, you know, to be called your baby a deceiver is a bit bit dodgy but anyway that's what he was that, that described his character um, now probably one of your favorite chapters in the bible is Matthew chapter one now I don't mean the bit that um, Andrea read the bit about the birth of Jesus but the bit that comes before that the genealogy don't you just love reading genealogies a whole list of names you know, I'm sure most of you sit down every evening with your telephone directory and look at all the wonderful names that are in the telephone directory. Well, Matthew starts exactly that way, a list of names beginning with Abraham and going right through the genealogy up to Jesus. Now, some of those names we don't know much about at all. Others we know quite a lot, but they were all very significant people in that list who led us up to the person that Jesus was. You see, history is important. Uh, I used to hate history at school. It was my least favourite subject. I gave it up as soon as I could could to to concentrate on the sciences, but but history, uh, I've discovered later, is important, and particularly to the Jewish people Because it's not only about their history, it's their identity. Uh, Back in, uh, quite a few years ago, um, when we first had a telly, I think in the 80s, there was a programme called Roots. And it was all about people who'd lost their roots because they were taken into slavery. Finding our roots gives us our identity. Who are we? And uh, a lot of you maybe are interested in your ancestry and you look up your family trees to find out. I mean, we've got interesting people in our... Uh, family, including 
somebody who knocked the head off Winston Churchill in Madame Two Swords. One of my mum's cousins managed to do that, but she's also related distantly to John Bunyan, uh, which is an interesting uh, thing to, to, to know. But, you know, it gives us our identity, who we are. And so that's the point of all these names, um, beginning with Abraham uh, and then moving on at the end of the first section to King David, uh, a, a very significant person in Jesus' ancestry, then up to the period when the whole of Israel went into exile and they'd lost their identity uh, altogether. Uh, they'd lost their land, they'd lost their, their temple, they'd lost their customs, right up to uh, Joseph and Mary, uh, who, and then, uh, and then Jesus. It gives us our identity, knowing where we've come from. Uh, and in fact, Matthew uh, begins his gospel with this very short statement: a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That defines who Jesus is. He's descended from Abraham, like all the other Jews, uh, but he's also the son of David. He's He's descended from the king of the Jews. And you will be aware that when Jesus was crucified, they nailed up a bit of plaque saying the king of the Jews in three languages. Okay. So let's, uh, let's move on now to, to verse 18, where, we, where we, we're, we're looking now with the second week of Advent, two candles light, lit, lit uh, and we're looking at the, the, the story as, as we... We anticipate celebrating at Christmas the birth of Jesus. Now, Matthew's version of this story is very concise. doesn't have any shepherds. Um, but in the next chapter, he does tell us about the wise men. Um, and Matthew, if you read it carefully, is very much told from Joseph's point of view, from Joseph's perspective. The angel speaks to Joseph. Joseph has a dream in Matthew's Gospel, whereas in Luke, very much Mary uh, is the one who's spoken to by the angel and, and has the, the, those revelations. Uh, and it begins with this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. This is, is where Matthew begins his gospel. After the genealogy, this is how Jesus came about. And he tells uh, about two people, two young people. We don't know how old they are, but we guess that Mary was probably only a teenager, I would guess because they would have got married very young in those days. Mary. Does anyone know what Mary means? Keith, do you know what Mary means? You ought to. Anyone know? Bitterness. Mary means bitterness. That, man, that's not a very nice name to give a child, is it? I don't think it, I don't think it reflects Mary. Uh, but um, Bitterness. But then Mary's life had bitter things about it because of all she had to go through by being the mother of the Son of God. Um, and what about Joseph? Does anyone know what Joseph means? He shall add. He shall add. Well, Joseph added uh, a great deal to this story by his faithfulness to Mary. Um, he became, if you like, not the father of Jesus, but the, if you like, the adoptive father of, of Jesus. He shall add. So when the angel speaks to Joseph, he says, Joseph... Son of David. Joseph, son of David. And it's important. Uh, Joseph's line went right back to David. And that is why uh, once in royal David city stood a lowly cattle shed. And that's why the whole story takes place in Bethlehem, this little town not far from Jerusalem, which was the birthplace of David 
the first proper king of Israel. So it's important that Joseph was chosen because he was of the line of David, and, and so was Mary. Um, on Palm Sunday, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, all the crowds cheer Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David. Uh, so to be the son of David is important. You're descended from the royal king, King David. Descended from the kingly line. And then we can go back to the covenant that God made with King David when he uh, anointed him as king. He said, you will always have a son on the throne. What a great promise. An everlasting kingdom. Now, um, that wasn't true of Saul because King Saul was a bad king and he he really blew it. Uh, But when God chose David, although he wasn't perfect, he said, you'll have an everlasting kingdom. But, uh, oh dear, he didn't last in human terms, because the last king of Israel was deposed uh, and Judah was deposed in 586 BC. But God's promises always come true. And so to be a son of David, to be descended from David, born in David's line, was so important. Um, and so in verse 21, where Mary is, Joseph is, is told that Mary will have a baby, he said, you are to name him Jesus. And uh, last week, uh, Mike uh, told us uh, in, in, in excellent detail all about the, the, that story right from the beginning, right through to uh, the birth of Jesus and, and why it's so important. Um, Jesus, and we heard a number of times, is the Hebrew word Yeshua, otherwise Joshua, the same name. Uh, and it means God saves. You're to call him Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. That's the heart, isn't it? So when we're thinking about the meaning of names, Jesus' name means saviour. Because Jesus' purpose was to be a saviour. You could not have a more appropriate name for this child in the manger than Jesus, the saviour of the world. And my my question to all of you is, is Jesus your saviour? Are you aware that everything you've ever done wrong, whether you keep a list or not, I don't know, can be forgiven and will be forgiven if you come through Jesus. That's why he came. He came to be a saviour. But Matthew says uh, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. He's got two names and it's not like a surname. Joseph was not Joseph Christ and his son was Jesus Christ. That's not the way it works. Uh, His name Christ also means something and in Greek Christ, in Hebrew, Messiah, the same word, the Messiah, the Christ, is the one that everybody was waiting for. It means the anointed one. Uh, And when King David became king, oil would have been poured on his head as a sign of anointing, uh, uh, that he was the one God had chosen. When Queen Elizabeth came to the throne in in 1953, she, uh, 53 wasn't it? Yes. Before my time. Um, they would have been oil poured on her head, and I believe that happened in secret. Is that right, with a, with a screen around? Um, such a sacred moment that the oil was poured on her head to anoint her as the Queen of England. And God bless her, she's still going uh, over, over 90. So Jesus, uh, Saviour, is also Messiah. He is the chosen one, he is the anointed one. 
And that is why when the, the wise men come, they say, we have seen his star and we've come to find the one who is called King of the Jews. King of the Jews. Which, of course, as we will see in the story next week, was the, the, the kind of words that put shivers up the spine of King Herod. Because he thought he was the king of the Jews. And anybody else claiming his title would be an imposter and somebody who had to be, had to be got rid of by force. So Jesus is a saviour. Jesus is the anointed king. Very aptly describes who he is, King Jesus. But I want to ask you, is Jesus your king? You see, a king sits on a throne and rules over his kingdom. And I wonder to what extent we allow Jesus to sit on the throne of our lives and be king over every aspect of our lives. If, I have to, if you knew me uh, as I know me, you would know that there are probably bits of my life that I keep back from him as king. And perhaps, you know, we're not going to be laying out our dirty washing here, but I'm sure that all of us will be areas where we actually think that we're on the throne um, and we, we take pride. But Jesus has come to be the king, not only of the Jews, but the king of all who bow the knee at his throne. So there's a challenge. Now, another name in this passage. When he is born, you are to give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. So he's Jesus Christ, the son of David. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And this is such a, a profound statement that that baby lying in a manger full of straw is none less than God with us. Now that is something that many people can't just, they just can't get hold of it. Jewish people can't get hold of that because to them Yahweh is so holy um, that he wouldn't become a human being. Um, to the Muslims, and that majority of those boys called Muhammad are brought up in a faith that says, God has no son, God did not die. There are people who cannot and will not take on board that God, Jesus, is God with us. But if he is, we have hope and we have a saviour. But if he ain't, let's go home. Let's, go, let's, let's have Sunday morning bingo. That would be entertaining, wouldn't it? Yeah? Why are we here? We're here because of the truth of the gospel that Jesus is God with us. And he's with us, he's, he's with us, he's for us. He came for us. He's not a God who's against us. He's a God who opposes our sin, but he's a God who is for us and with us. And that is good news. And so I want to ask you, is God with you? We have, uh, as many of you know, um, our daughter's uh, father-in-law is, is seriously ill. He's in um, Taunton Hospital at the moment and very ill. We don't know if you'll make Christmas or, or, or not really. It's, it's that bad. Uh, you may know people in that position as well. And it's very hard to know, is God with you in that, in that dire situation? The answer is God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us, even if we can't see it. Even if we can't feel it and we don't actually know it at that time. God is with us. That is the promise of this baby in the manger. It's a mystery. God himself has become a human being. And that's 
something if you, be, if you talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses who knock on your door, you can have some very interesting conversations with them. Uh, they do not believe that Jesus is both God and man. They believe some things the same as us, but they do not believe that fundamental thing which says if God is, if God is, if Jesus is God, he has authority to forgive our sins. If Jesus is a man, he has the ability to identify with our humanity. But if he's neither of those things, he's not the saviour of the world. It's important. It's a mystery. He's not only the son of David, he's the son of God. They will say he's the son of God. Yes, he's a son of God. But they don't mean that he's the son of God in that he is God with us. He's the son of God because we are told in Matthew that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So that's a mystery too. There is a mystery. And as uh, um, Mike pointed out last year, last week, uh, the Jewish people are the seed of Abraham, but only Mary is the only female to be accredited with that title of having a seed, uh, and which actually is Jesus, because his father is God himself. Now that, that seems utter nonsense to most people doesn't it? Um, I could be, you know, I could get booed down if I had a, a group of Richard Dawkins supporters here. They would say, that's absolute nonsense. Well, it does seem like nonsense, but it's true. It's true. And that's why I'm here. Otherwise, I would have found another job by now. There's one more title that's mentioned in this, but it's not actually attributed to Jesus at this point. Who is it who gives the message to Joseph? Look at the scripture. Matthew chapter 1. The, the, angel, the angel of the Lord. Okay, the angel of the Lord is the messenger who brings the great message that, that Joseph must take Mary as his wife and bring up this child. The angel of the Lord. So the word Lord is not applied here to Jesus, but if we skip over a few chapters to Matthew chapter 8, after the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus starts to go out in ministry, what do people say? The man with leprosy says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me well. And Jesus says, I am willing, be well. And then the centurion says, Lord, my servant is suffering, and if you, you can come and heal him. And Jesus does come and heal him. But you see, I wonder what those people meant when they called Jesus Lord. Because the word kurios in Greek, which wouldn't have been the word that Jesus used, but the word in, in, in the scripture means kind of a number of things. It can mean sir. So, yes, sir. Polite address. If you're up in, uh, against, in court with a judge, you would say, my lord, wouldn't you? And, and the house of lords, my lord. It doesn't mean that they're God. It means a polite form of address. And that's one way in which the word is used. But, you know, the word Lord is also used in the New Testament to translate Adonai, the word Lord, which is used for the holy word Yahweh, which they wouldn't, Jews will never speak. It's such a holy word, they will never speak that word. And so they call him Lord Adonai instead. Uh, in fact, when you look at things that Jewish people have written, it sometimes says G-D, doesn't it? Because uh, they won't write down that holy name um, and so in the New Testament, the word Lord is used to apply to God himself. The Lord, meaning God. And as the New Testament unfolds, and as people see uh, exactly who Jesus is, especially um, when Thomas, 
the doubting Thomas won't believe that it's Jesus, when he, he, he gets down on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. Thomas is not saying sir to Jesus, is he? He's saying, I recognise who you are now. And when the disciples are in the boat and the, 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 the storm uh, is calmed by just a word from Jesus, they say, who is this man? He's no ordinary man. He is the Lord. Lord, we're going to drown. And then we come on about, let's just move forward about 30 years, shall we? To a man who opposed Jesus so much that he used to go from house to house, dragging Christians out, putting them in prison. And one day he was on the road to Damascus, and a tremendous light and a voice came, and Paul's life, Saul's life, was turned around as he met the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus. And 30 years later, that man Paul is in prison, and he's writing letters to the Christians to encourage them. And uh, one of the letters that he writes near the end of his life is, uh, as um, Aston read to us earlier, the letter to the Philippians, uh, otherwise known as the letter of joy. That's been uh, one of your themes today, Keith. The letter of joy. Um, What does it say about Jesus? It says this, who in very nature God, in other words, Jesus is the same nature as God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. (laughs) We could talk about that at some length, that word. But uh, instead of holding on to that godness, he actually let it go. Made himself nothing. And here is God Almighty has come down and he's a baby in in a pile of straw. Good grief. I was very impressed actually by Hambridge School Key Stage 1 Assembly as I went to do my governor bit last week. And it was a great nativity that they've done with a musical, musical, and I like the blues, the blues kind of musical style, really good. But they had f- five characters in the story. It followed the nativity very accurately. And they had five characters with clipboards who were called inspectors. Yeah? And these inspectors were, were looking at the, the inns in Bethlehem and said, this inn is not fit for a king. It was brilliant. It really, it really, really was. So, um, fantastic. This is not fit for a king. Um, Jesus came to a place that was not fit for a king. He humbled himself to the very lowest place. And he even went lower than that. He died. And not only that, but he died the most excruciating death for the worst criminals on a cross should be the end shouldn't it if that were the end of the story we would have nothing to celebrate therefore i love therefores in the bible don't you Uh, whenever there's a therefore you should always ask what's it there for okay so jesus is dead death on a cross therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is not saying uh, we must call Jesus Sir and be polite to him, is he? He's not saying that. He's saying that the name of Jesus is above every name. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So this Jesus 
that we've come to worship today. Uh, his name tells us everything. He is Jesus, the Saviour. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of David, the King, the Anointed One. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And above all of those things, he is the Son of God and he is Lord. Another 30 years after Paul wrote that, there's an emperor called Domitian came to the Roman throne. And Domitian, like many of the other emperors, thought that he was divine. And he decreed that everybody must bow down and worship him and call him God and call him Lord. Caesar is Lord. Would you do that? Let's, let's say after, you know, we're, we're going to have an election soon, aren't we? Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. But do pray. Do pray. Let's say a new government came to power. And that person elected themselves all the authority in, in, in the world, like some do in other countries, and said, everybody must worship me. Would you do it? Would you bow down and worship a new ruler of, of England if the penalty was that you're going to be burnt at the stake or worse, for not doing it. And the Christians said, we honour you as the emperor, but we will not bow down and call you Lord, because Jesus is Lord. Do we say amen to that? Yeah. Like that, uh, yeah I love that preaching at the, uh, of the royal wedding. He was expecting them to go, amen! In Africa, they encourage you. <laughs> you know, you get these encouraging, preach it, brother, yes, yes, amen! Um, but it's true. If Jesus is Lord, then he is the name above every name. And every knee will bow. Even, you know who I'm talking about, over the, over the pond. We'll have to bow one day at the name of Jesus Christ, because he is Lord. Amen?